As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, everybody. This is Soccer Every Day. Uh, I'm Matt Pence filling in for Alex Abnos, who is still in Miami, who I am still extremely jealous of as it's very cold in Seattle today. Uh, Joining me today is my good friend, great writer, John Arnold. He's covered CONCACAF for a long little while here. So we're going to get into the Champions League and stories about the Champions League and the lore and all that kind of stuff. Um, But yeah, I'll let you introduce yourself too. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. Yeah, I'm always uh, happy to be chatting CONCACAF and, and some of the weirdness that it brings. Uh, it's it's a passion of mine for sure. I, I love local soccer. I love soccer in our region. And I think the Champions League, for better or worse, it's the best expression of that, right? It's the, it's the best thing we have, the best opportunity we have to kind of compare leagues, to, to experience these moments. And uh, yeah. And, and speaking of being in Miami, that sounds nice. I'm in Texas. You know, typically we have that, that nice climate as well, but I was freezing at the U.S. Women's National Team training today. I was up at FC Dallas training, talking to new coach Nico Estevez. I need a vacation too, man. After this, I'm going to check flights. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, we should all be doing that. Hey, maybe we, we can, we'll pick one of these random locations. We'll talk ourselves so into Champions League <laughs> fever that we'll end up at a Saprisa game here in a couple weeks. Uh, but I guess I wanted to just ask you first, we'll, we'll be topical and then we'll probably veer off into like the fun, absurd stuff very quickly. But I wanted to ask you first if there was anything about this year's edition that stood out to you. There are games tonight, games tomorrow, uh, kind of a week full of games as we're kind of getting into it here. But, but what do you think? Yeah, I think it's an interesting addition of the tournament for a couple of reasons. And they're not necessarily sort of, I guess, like sporting specific. It just ended up that uh, none of the Monterrey teams, neither of the Monterrey teams, Monterrey, uh, the reigning champion, and Tigres ended up in this edition of the CONCACAF Champions League, which means you have two clubs that spend big money that are typically among the best teams in the region that are certainly among the best supported clubs in the region that didn't make it so uh, you already have a mexican crop of teams that maybe is not as familiar or maybe is not as big budget as some of the other teams and then you look at the, the clubs that did make it and a lot of the teams are not in form right now or are going through some sort of uh, internal crisis so cruz azul is in form but their sporting director quit uh, a couple weeks ago 
And it's sort of unclear what the fallout of that will be. But we know that, especially with a team like Cruz Azul, which didn't win a championship between 1997 and last year, you know, there are some head games that can get in the way of success on the field. And a thing like a sporting director who built that championship curse-breaking team leaving, you know, those are things that can start to topple. So I think so often in this tournament, especially once you get into the later stages, the question is, can MLS do it? In some ways, that question can be boring because so far every single time the answer has been no. But at the same time, it would be fresh, I think, as a narrative, as someone who likes to write about the region, as someone who likes to tell these stories. It would at least be something different if a, if a Mexican team had a challenge or didn't actually win this edition. So that's one thing I'm looking at. The other thing that I think is a huge shame that I think is over arching narrative in this edition of the CONCACAF Champions League is for whatever reason, whether it's COVID, whether it's something with the U.S. government, whether it's simply bureaucratic backlog, documentation has been an enormous issue for this tournament. You had the Haitian team, Cavalry, having to essentially withdraw they didn't technically forfeit. They, they pulled out of the competition because despite their best efforts, they weren't able to travel. Um, and they had decided to put both legs of the games in the U.S. because of the, the current situation in Haiti means that it's it's untenable to host anything in Haiti right now. Unfortunately, uh, the risk of violence is extremely high. Uh, so that's a shame. You know, this is a team that was gearing up to play in CONCACAF Champions League that couldn't. And now we're seeing a couple of Cuban players not able to come into the U.S., already some weird sort of, I guess, self-inflicted wounds uh, in a weird situation in Costa Rica that we can get into if we have lots of extra time. Um, but some guys on the Costa Rican team's not able to play. And some of the Comunicaciones players with some confusion about the vaccine. Uh, the In Guatemala, the, the first vaccine available was the Sputnik vaccine made in Russia, which uh, the U.S. health officials haven't uh, recognized. So... Some of those guys not able to get in. Listen, is it going to make an impact sporting-wise? Are the results going to change? We saw Comunicaciones play well in the first leg, so maybe you could say it does matter. Ultimately, kind of the bigger teams will probably move on, as they likely would have anyway. But I think it's a shame that, you know, these extra... Uh, not extracurricular, but these off-field factors seem to be coming up so frequently in this tournament. And, and I think, you know... It's tough to say this is CONCACAF's fault because it seems to be a lot of different moving parts. And I know, for instance, in the Cavalry situation that CONCACAF was kind of moving heaven and earth to try and get the team into the U.S. But at the same time, I'd love to see some of these sporting powers that be exert more influence. Maybe they're doing everything they can. I know it's easier said than done to, you know, pick up a red phone, hit a button and have, you know, the U.S. State Department on the phone. But it would have been great to see these teams in their best expression, in their in their fullest, uh, come to the United States. So I think those are the two kind of narratives I see at the start of the tournament that are really drawing my attention and that I think are specific to 2022. Yeah, and I was kind of struck by something you said in our intro, which was that this is very much a reflection of the diversity of our region. Um, and unfortunately, right now, like that mirror is, I mean, it's reflecting a society that has a lot going on in the background. And in some ways, it does sort of just mirror where we're at. But it is a shame, for sure. And especially something like this, that can really be a be a diversion, especially for some of these smaller teams and leagues. Um, it's a bummer that that's 
being taken away. And I guess I we can kind of switch gears and maybe go a little bit more, I don't know, feel goody for a minute. <laughs> uh, I kind of wanted to ask you to just kind of looking back through uh, over the last recent years and maybe even farther back, um, if you had a personal favorite story or two uh, that kind of came out of this competition and maybe can remind us of some happier additions here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the the most special additions of this tournament to me personally was in 2014, 2015. Uh, 2015, I moved to Mexico to kind of better speak Spanish, to become sort of the journalist I would become. I didn't know the CONCACAF of obscureness would be this much of a focus for me but but it's become that and uh that was the first time i ever was able to go do a game at the azteca uh went to saprisa america and while i was there was was in mexico city watching some of the other games uh and stuck around a little bit um just kind of hung out look mexico city uh, a great place to be in and, and was able to watch i think it was actually the night before the second leg of america saprisa the, the montreal impact pachuca game that famous uh, Cam Porter goal in, in you know in stoppage time of the second leg of Montreal's quarterfinal. They eventually went to the final where they played America, fell short ultimately in the second leg. Uh, but that's a tournament that that I I look back fondly, both personally and I think you know in the region it was just so fun to have so many exciting games, so many teams kind of coming out of nowhere. You know, I'm mentioning some of the Mexican teams that aren't in great form this year. That was a year where I think not a lot of the MLS teams were in great form. You know, Cam Porter, God bless him. I don't know that he did too much besides that goal that really sticks out in the memory, even if you're just talking about domestic play. I don't mean to discredit him, but, uh, and, and, you know, maybe I'm forgetting a goal or two or a moment or two, but I, I think that sort of stands out as a singular moment of excellence that will be remembered forever in the region and and really what else is comes after that not much so i think that's that's a fun one where you look at those moments and i also was able to tell a couple uh well a couple of months ago i guess on the newsletter i run that that specifically uh looks at concacaf stories i was able to interview several members of the puerto rico islanders uh, who knocked off a Mexican team uh, on their way to the semifinals uh, held with uh, Cruz Azul. And actually, they're not bitter, but everyone I talked to did bring up the fact that under the current tiebreaker rules, I believe they would have advanced past Cruz Azul, not needed, I think it was extra time, uh, which is eventually when they fell to this Mexican giant. And so, you know, Puerto Rico Islanders, a defunct club, Puerto Rico in another interesting political situation, we talk about, you know, the realities of the world and politics, this U.S. controlled non-state. Do they want to be a state? Not really. Do they want to be an independent country? Some people do, some people don't. Whatever situation that Puerto Rico finds itself in or that Puerto Ricans wanted to be in, these guys were flying the flag for Puerto Rico and made it farther than most MLS teams ever have in the competition. So, uh, that was a cool story to talk to guys like Bill Gaudet, Sandy Bondi, uh, Noah Legato is on that team. Like, there's a bunch of these guys uh, whose names are kind of familiar to fans of mid 2000s MLS, which uh, I understand is not exactly uh, an enormous group, but uh, certainly some some familiar faces if you're a fan of the sport. So that was fun to be able to tell that story, and I remember watching that run. 
uh, with great interest when it happened and sort of looking back on those those moments uh, was special, especially the fact that the team is now defunct. You know, uh, <laughs> what do you do with that? You know, I talked to a guy who's, who was a super fan of, of the team, was one of the supporters group members. And, and you know, he's like, this is the best moment of my life as a fan and I'll never get another one. And, and you know, I think we always have this hope springs eternal. MLS fans can have this idea of our team will be the first one ever to win the CONCACAF Champions League. And this guy who I talked to, his name was Abner. He's just like, yeah, man, that's it. That's the moment. That's the peak. There's nothing that's ever going to beat that. And I guess that fin- finality is something that we never have in sports. And that's sort of the yeah, beauty of sports poor. is that hope springs eternal. But at the same time, it's kind of weird to know like, yep, that was it. That was the peak. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's something poetic about it to an mm. extent. And it, there's something to appreciating these moments whenever they're here. Because who knows? A team that whenever I was thinking about this and the, the competitions I've covered, um, I think maybe ironically, because I'm based in Seattle, um, but the team that really stands out of my mind is the CD Olympia team um, from 2020 uh, mm. that ended up making the run to the quarterfinals. And they were just like that. They were just so like the Sounders They're even in CONCACAF where they haven't necessarily been able to go all the way through like everybody else in MLS. There's, a little bit of an entitlement um, that they are a, a bigger club within the region. Like they certainly should be expected uh, to beat a team like Olympia. Um, and so there was just kind of this like vibe about them and Olympia. They, they were just so happy to be there, but in like the best sense, like they just played very free and there was a real sense of accomplishment. Um, and I just, the press conference, like the coach had tears in his eyes uh, and you can forget sometimes kind of like that romantic side of it in, how much it can mean to these teams from smaller countries to be able to represent and make it as far as they can. I mean, do you have any other team like that besides the ones that you've mentioned or any team in this, in this year's competition that you think might be able to make a little bit of that noise? Yeah, I think Olympia in 2020 was a great one. You know, Pedro Troglio finally moved on actually just recently to San Lorenzo in, in his native Argentina. It's not going amazingly for him right now through three games, but uh, is that kind of you know passionate figure and the fact that they made it that far, the farthest a Honduran team has ever made it with kind of a scrappy roster, um, especially in 2020 with the the weird atmosphere, with with COVID kind of putting an enormous pause on the competition, then finishing in that sort of bubble environment where there were other weird things happening. You know, Miguel Herrera throwing. I guess throwing a temper tantrum isn't charitable, but I think that's a fair way to describe what happened in that game against LAFC and LAFC almost lifting the trophy. You know, that was a special edition. That Olympia team was special. Uh, and I think kind of, you know, it, it'll resonate for a while in Central America because you see this shift in, you know, when you go back to before the CONCACAF Champions League, there were Central American teams that won this competition in its previous format. And I think that it's very easy to forget about that history when you look at these tournaments that have become dominated by Mexico. And the question that I think we ask in the English-speaking press is, can an MLS team win it? And that's fair because that's the way the markets shift and that's what our audience generally wants to know. In Central America, they're asking the same questions about teams from Central America. Can a Central American team win this again? 
And it doesn't seem likely because of the huge disparity even between Central American teams' budgets and MLS teams' budgets. And then you talk about the difference between MLS teams' budgets and the difference between Liga Mekis teams' budgets. So I understand uh, why it's unlikely to happen. I think when you look at this year's group, you know, maybe sort of difficult to pick out a, a team that could do something like that. You know, Saprissa is always a candidate for me. They're in a rough run of form. We're able to sort of right the ship a little bit, did themselves proud against Pumas, but I think still can't be the favorite to advance. And after that, you had some surprising teams make their runs in, in the CONCACAF League. Uh, and, and you end up with like Huastatoya, who doesn't necessarily have the budget even to compete on a regular basis, although they you know, somewhat do in, in Guatemala, much less against teams like Leon, who they're playing, right? So... I don't necessarily see a spoiler in this one, unfortunately. I, I think it's difficult to say. I, I liked what Santos, uh, the Costa Rican Santos, have and what they do, but the foreign, losing the foreign players was a huge blow uh, because of the bureaucratic ruling in Costa Rica and not having uh, Luis Paradella, the, the Cuban player who I was able to speak with last week about his frustration and disappointment. You know, we talked about, oh, you know, these t- teams can't fly their flags, but. He feels like after he had a good performance in USL, he's he's uh, played really well in Costa Rica. He felt like this was going to be the chance to put himself in the shop window a little bit to prove what he could do against a team like New York City FC, the current champion of MLS. And, and that's not an opportunity that he has anymore. And he's not sure when he's going to get another one. So um, another kind of disappointing moment. But I don't see one, Pensy. I don't see a, a team that this year is going to come through and be that Olympia side. But in a way... That's the joy of it. If a team does break through, it'll be all the more surprising. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, and you can never truly know with this competition. So uh, who's to say for sure? Uh, I, I tend to agree with you for sure. And I was curious. I wanted to get into this a little bit with you too. Um, you talked about the market forces, and they're certainly trending in a certain direction away from both the Central American and Caribbean teams. Um, MLS and Liga MX seem to kind of get closer and closer every year and cozier with trying to like build closer ties and talk about what a financial behemoth it could be if they were able to find a way to have a cross-border league. And they're really trying to do that um, with the League's Cup. Um, And so I I just kind of wanted to like bring that up with you and ask you to kind of make the case for why this competition matters in the form that it does. Because some casual fans would be like, well, it's it's always coming down to MLS versus League MX anyway almost all the time. So what's really the harm in, in kind of speeding that along? But I think that something would really be lost if those teams were, were to continue to be more and more marginalized when it comes to regional competition. 
Yeah, and you hear this as well when you talk even bigger picture about the idea of, hey, let's smash together CONCACAF and CONMEBOL. Okay, but then how does Curaçao develop? How does Costa Rica develop? And I get that, I, you know, Costa Rica team that's been at the World Cup several times, even in 2018 when the U.S. wasn't, right? And I think that's what people sometimes miss is that it's very easy to say, well, these teams are powerful and these teams aren't. Let's just leave the stragglers behind. But then how do you ever get those stragglers to catch up? It's not just meritocratic, though. I think that you you need a seat at the table for these teams, and they often deserve it. With at the very worst, their history. You know, this is a competition, as I mentioned, that in its previous format before the Concacaf Champions League was established, was won by a number of Central American and even Caribbean teams. So I think that's important to kind of keep in mind that that these teams have had success in the past. Currently, the the market is is not there. The economy soccer economy if you want to call it that flows north and then flows across the atlantic but i i think it's still important to have these countries represented and i think that you know you also need some sort of reward for these teams in the region that are trying to compete for the suprisas and the santos and in other years the heredianos and the olympias and alianzas in el salvador and you know, we could keep going. Portmore United in Jamaica, these teams, Waterhouse, these teams that are producing talents that historically have done well, that, that, that take things seriously, should be rewarded. I think that, you know, when you look at League's Cup, for one, I understand why CONCACAF has sanctioned the tournament, why they provide the referees, because you get everyone singing from the same hymn sheet. It could be positive, and I think ultimately everyone kind of gets the benefit, which is the money. But I also think Champions League will be special in its new format, which I think will do an even better job of kind of separating some of the Central American and Caribbean teams who are competing, who have this idea of a, of a three-year project or a five-year project, and the teams who just kind of get hot, then sell their players, and then show up to CCL and have really nothing to offer. Uh, so I think the new format will be quite positive for being inclusive of the entire region. And I also think that you know, there is something to be said for this being a tournament of champions. League's Cup is going to include every single team in yeah. Mexico and MLS in the very new future, in the next edition after this one. And the whole point of Champions League is it's our best against your best against your best against your best. And, and I, I think that still has value even in this era. You know, the team from Albania isn't going to win the UEFA Champions League, but... They still get a spot in the early rounds and they could yeah. make a run. So I, I think that's important too, is to still have something that that is for the champions, that is for the best teams and is able to put our best against your best against your best. Like that's why we love soccer in a lot of ways is because it is so global that you do have a representative from Martinique and you do have a representative from Ethiopia and you do have a representative from New Zealand, and in theory, they could all meet at the Club World Cup, right? And that, and that's kind of the cool thing about this system. I think the rebrand or or re, uh, I don't know, restructuring of the new format will be helpful because right now the Concacaf Champions League hues quite closely to what the League's Cup is trying to accomplish. But yeah. I think we might be able to see kind of the best of both worlds with more competition from these big games 
but also giving a bigger opportunity to some of the quote-unquote smaller teams that are trying to make a name for themselves and then can sustain that success if they make their name and say, we are the best team in Central America. We can afford to try and make a run this year and hold on to a player for one or two more years where previously would have had to sell. Now we look at this as the goal. So I'm hopeful that the new format is a clear signal that it needs to be more than just League's Cup. And I also think, like, I enjoyed League's Cup. <laughs> I'm a sicko. You know, I I admit that freely. But as exciting as it is when you say, wow, what if we could have LAFC against Club America every week or New York City FC against Chivas? I don't think people necessarily want to watch Houston Dynamo against Pachuca. I, some people will. I'll watch yeah. it. Yeah, there's something to be said for best of the best and and kind of take it from there. Yeah, and I, I enjoyed your breakdown there because it left me feeling a little bit hopeful about the new format. And where a lot of this, like, I think you see it everywhere, but this sort of market consolidation in the biggest brands wanting to sort of protect themselves and insulate themselves. Um, in Europe, it was the Super League that is dead for now. Um, but there just seems to be this desire from of teams to kind of just like protect what they have rather than like allowing for sporting merit to come through rather than financial considerations yeah. and, and that's and, and why and i think the if you're so much better if you're if you're big powerful club america and you're so much better than comunicaciones fine beat them twice and move on it's not that big of a deal to me i, I i'm kind of like i understand you have logistics you have to get there you have to i mean I get that, but but I think, you know, same with the Super League, right? Okay, if it's such an inconvenience for you to play Sampdoria every weekend to Juventus, like, just smash them, win the league, and then win the Champions League, but you can't, right? Like, it's not as easy as you want to make it appear yeah. mega club, so. Yeah, and it's, but there, I, I'm trying to come away with, like, a hopeful note from it in that, like, these things are always in flux. Like, it does, it can feel like we're on the slow march towards, like, the biggest teams finding a way to break away and like protect their own gains. That's not how it is yet. And it, this ladder still exists. It exists here in the champions league for a team to get hot and become Olympia. And part of why watching this competition, I tend to always gravitate towards rooting for the smaller teams. A, that's just my disposition, but like <laughs> B, I think it's like important. I think it's cool. And it's also inspirational and it puts down a marker that like, this is the value, and this is why we're here. Uh, like, I wrote a column about uh, the Super League uh, whenever it kind of fell apart last year, and I referenced one of my favorite sports documentaries. It's a ESPN 30 for 30. Uh, I think it's called The Million Dollar Game, uh, and it was about Princeton against Georgetown in 1989 um, and how, like, at that point in its history, the NCAA was, like, really close to, like, the power schools were in the process of basically like deciding that we're just, we don't need these small school champions in our bracket. Like no one cares about them. Let's just consolidate. And this is our tournament now. And that was really where they were about to head. Um, but at this crucial pivot point, like Princeton didn't even beat Georgetown. They just took them all the way to the wire <laughs> and put this like big scare in them. But ESPN had decided to make that like the centerpiece game on a Friday night, kind of just by chance, just because there weren't any other good games on. Georgetown had a big brand, and it, it became like the highest-rated NCAA tournament game in history up until that point. 
because everybody got swept into this incredible near upset. And like, it was convincing enough that it like basically changed the trajectory to allow these teams to like, they yeah. expanded the tournament and they guaranteed this. And like, it like, it proved the value for what these type of teams bring. And yeah, so I kind of think, think of that in our like current landscape too. Yeah. And I think you and I are romantics about sports and, and about small teams in a way. And, you know, like Princeton being the representative is kind of funny because it, it doesn't yeah. line up with the point that I'm about to make, yeah. which is, I, I think it's one thing if you say, well, we cut off a school because you choose to go to a school. Yes, they have endowments. Yes, they have donor groups, et cetera. But ultimately, that's a choice. If you cut off a school from a certain pathway to the NCAA championship, I don't love that, but I can kind of see why you're saying, eh, we don't have a problem with cutting off access to this championship for this school. But if you cut off a country or you cut off teams from a certain country, I think that's a bit different, right? Because what... And, and I think this is more a point about international the international game than the club game. But even with the international club game, like a CONCACAF Champions League, I, I think I don't think it's fair to say you're Nicaragua, you're traditionally not powerful, you're out. I, I don't. I mean, the whole point of the international sporting setup that we have is, of course, we can talk about geopolitics and look at which countries are part of whatever you know group you want to say un security council group whatever you want to say right but but we can also look and say you're the best at this sport whatever sport it is and and you've proved it through this competition and i think that that's something that we all enjoy that's something we like that's sort of the point of what we're doing and when you just say ah you've been bad recently we're cutting you off i think it it's dangerous is not the right word but i don't think it's i don't think it helps anyone you know it, yeah. it's not it's not it's not good. It's not good. It's certainly not good for you and I, the storytellers, and maybe that's where our bias comes in. Like I said, yeah. I think we're romantics about this. It's a much better story if Comunicaciones makes a surprise run to the final and we look back and we say they had bees or wasps or what have you stinging the players at the very start. You know, that's that's a better story than just the team with the biggest salary won the thing. But at the same time, I think it is important to make sure that if people are in our region that they have an opportunity at the very least to be represented, to see their flag flown, to have a pathway, right? And I think that's the thing. Yeah, look, Nicaragua is a good example. Real Esteli, Walter Ferretti, these teams did not make it this time out. Motawa, uh, the Managua FC looking very good this year in the domestic league. Maybe they get into the next one, right? But they had a chance and they didn't take it. You know, if you say only US and Mexico, I think you're really cutting off a lot of not only players and, and teams, but also fans who could get into this, who could be excited, who could have that moment like the Puerto Rico Islanders fan and say, yeah, that was the pinnacle for me. That's as good as it's ever going to get. Yeah, and I think even just beyond us being romantic by nature, I do think that there is something to like, it's the very heart of what competition is, right? It's like, it's these two sides getting together on a game, on a field, and one of them wins, and like, and one of them proves that they're better. And so it just seems like antithetical to try to like cut further and further teams out of the ability to show what they can do. Um, and so, yeah, and, and but that, and I also think that to me, just kind of like the diversity of the sport. That, that's what I got into soccer. That, that's why I got into soccer writing to begin with, because that's what I love the most about it. Like the amount of times that I go down like a random 
Wikipedia rabbit hole on some random town somewhere in the world just because their soccer team won a game somewhere along the way. Like, I get that that's not the point for everybody, but I just think that there is something to every town and every city and every country having like the opportunity to have like that, the, the people who represent them that represent the people who love sports in that, that one day where they do get to sort of like pop out their chests and be like, I am proud of being from here. Like that's a really special thing. And I don't think that any competition captures that spirit in our region better than the CONCACAF champions league. And that's why I like it so much. I agree. I think that you also on the field get good moments. You know, there yeah. are good goals. There are fun moments of play. The soccer in general is not a bad level. I think that sometimes, you know, it's easy to say, ah, CONCACAF, it's bad or the refereeing is bad. And there are times, there are certainly times. Uh, but ultimately, I think you're getting a pretty good product, a product that continues to get better and better um, because in part, you know, MLS teams are spending more. MLS teams are bringing more exciting players, but so too are other teams in the region trying to keep up, whether it's in their own domestic league, whether it's in with MLS teams, whether it's with uh, the teams in Mexico, you know, I, I think that you get a pretty good standard and there are moments that stand out that go far beyond the memes or laughing or, or just kind of appreciating the beauty of having a team from Wastatoya in, uh, in, in this competition. I think you really do sometimes see moments that as a soccer fan make you pay attention. You take off your hat and say, that's a beautiful play. And, and, all, and that's the essence of it as well, right? As much as we love, yeah, learning about random towns on wikipedia i'm with you there 100 percent. if people have listened to our conversation for this long i'm sure they're with us too uh they're also good sporting moments good moments of soccer that also make us happy that make us marvel at what players can do with the creativity on the field so yeah i mean look i i uh concacaf certainly has its flaws and i try and chronicle those as well but there are also some really fun moments and i i think the ccl really does deliver a lot of those moments and also tell us a lot about who we are as a soccer region. And I have one last thing for you, then I'll let you go. Um, because as thing, as the world starts to gradually seemingly open up here, um, I was curious whether you had like a, a favorite stadium or a favorite trip or a favorite venue um, that you would recommend to people who either got drawn in by this conversation or love CONCACAF and have never been able to do these away days. Are there any that stand out that you would suggest uh, people one day take? Yeah, I, I think Leon in Mexico is actually extremely underrated. The whole state of Guanajuato, again, you know, we're talking about some of the political realities as well. There, there are some tough moments for some people in Guanajuato right now. But at the same time, I think that makes it all the more beautiful when you go and you see the architecture in Leon in Guanajuato City, the capital, which is about an hour by bus, not even. And, and San Miguel Allende, which I think people maybe know more as a vacation destination, which is nearby. If your team gets drawn against Leon, you should do everything you can to go. You can fly straight there. It's a little expensive. You can fly to Mexico City, take a five or six hour bus. Uh, but it really is special. And, and I think, you know, I, and I mentioned the, the difficult time and the difficult moment because I think it's very easy to look at Mexico as, as one thing, uh, you know. Yeah. Whether you want to say, oh, cartel Mexico or beach Mexico or dusty Mexico that you see in Western movies, it's, it's extremely easy to just have that picture. Uh, you get that shattered quite quickly if you take that road trip to Leon. Um, they're building a new stadium. The, the facility is fine. 
Um, it's right kind of, it, it's, it's easy to get to the stadium. So it's, it's not a tough trip if you just want to go to the stadium and then leave again. Um, I'm not sure, obviously, what the new stadium will bring, but the, the old one certainly has plenty of character. Uh, it's not like a Wrigley Field or something where you got to make it before they tear it down because the facility is so historic. But it does have history. You know, it, it's been it's been host to many, many, many important games. Uh, and also, one time I spoke with uh, a former Leon player, and we were chatting about the area, and he reminded me that, that nearby, you know, Leon is famous for its leather. So if you ever want to buy some great leather shoes, you can do that also by the stadium. So um, I, I didn't know that was going to be my recommendation to buy some shoes. But uh, Leon, Leon is a top, top place. Mexico City is a great starter spot. And then unfortunately, I mean, a lot of the Central American teams have to play in their capitals. That's another kind of yeah. somewhat disappointing thing about this. Comunicación is like they're from Guatemala City, but... Some of the teams have to play because the stadiums are, are either too far from airports or simply not up to the, the standard necessary to host some of these games. But, um, you know, if you can go, right, you know, it's uh, it, it, I think like you learn so much about an area by visiting. And, and I think soccer is such a great excuse really to, to be able to do that and, and that's another beautiful thing about this international club competitions fingers crossed and, and prayers continue that we're able to do this more and more often like we were in, in 2019 and before and won't take it for granted and, and uh, yeah I think those are the spots you got to get to and if your team makes it you got to do everything you can because it really is uh, a cool tournament a cool experience and, and a lot of fun but hopefully you enjoy watching on TV this week and I'm sure we'll talk about it more soon. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm legitimately already sold on a Leon trip, so you did a very <laughs> good job there. Um, but we will we'll leave it there. Um, I'll let you get back to your week. Um, if people want to read your stuff, where can they find you at? Yeah, if if you're still into this conversation, you probably will enjoy my uh, newsletter, which is called Getting Concacaft. Uh, one free edition at least per week. One premium edition at least per week. Uh, telling all sorts of stories from around the region. I try and do features and interviews and, and typically tell a story that, that usually you haven't heard before, uh, but sometimes also as simple as breaking down which team will win the CONCACAF Champions League and basic stuff. If you're a fan of the region, I hope you enjoy. Uh, you can check that out at getconcacaf.substack.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Arnold, John, where I tweet links from that newsletter and the many other publications I write for and would love to have you as a reader. All right, man. Thank you again for doing that. And uh, yeah, enjoy the games this week.